Just days after my parents' wedding anniversary and days before my mother's birthday, this time of year already has them very much on my mind. But celebrating the Holy Family um, does for less obvious reasons. The solemnity itself, you'll notice, in honor of the Holy Family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, has the names in the opposite order that they ought to appear according to nature, of course, or according to human nature, we should say. Now, that phrase, um, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, is something that Usually I hear on the golf course, Um, but instead of Joseph being first as the father of the family, he is listed last. Not to undo the natural order of things, but to help us to appreciate the relationships within the Holy Family, and also Uh, obviously, to recognize our Lord's divine nature. As unusual as the Holy Family can seem, um, it's therefore equally likely that people will take the term family and apply it to things that are even more unlike a real family or the ordinary family. Uh, networks of friends, right? Fraternities, sororities, um, uh, um, the 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 support network that we have, especially to the degree that people don't live with a mother and a father or with children, um, they have their own family. And and without in any way disabusing people of of that term, um, it's worth acknowledging that a family in a in a proper sense, is not just simply a network of friendships. But family always necessarily involves relationships also of obedience. So consider a family is that set of relationships where the relationship of love for one to another results necessarily in the burden of responsibility for those who will obey them. It sounds a little awkward, but I I phrase that in in those words to help us think about what's, what's going on, not just Uh, in our households, but also in the church. So it's good to remember, too, that there there is this bond of love between husband and wife that naturally results in a necessary obligation, not because of the likelihood or the certainty of a child, but just the distinct possibility of a child creates in and of itself a necessary responsibility. 
So that moment of intimacy isn't something that happens after the wedding vows, right? It is part of the wedding vow itself. And there's something very different about the couple that is deliberately childless and the couple that is without children, but understand that their very relationship already is ordered to the children that God might send them. My brother and sister-in-law being childless for 10 years was a great example of that. They were radically different from the couple that was deliberately childless. Their relationship already was permanent. They're, they're, they're in irrevocable commitment of love to each other wasn't just out of devotion to each other, but also out of recognition that their lives had been ordered towards the offspring of children. God choosing to send them children, choosing to create out of nothing a human soul that will be their daughter and then their son, then brought about these relationships of obedience that already existed in another form within the marriage itself. St. Paul talks about that, about how husbands and wives, out of reverence for Christ, are subordinate one to another. There already is a relationship of obedience intrinsic, intrinsic to the family even before children are, have come to fruition. And St. Paul very, very deftly articulates this in a way that makes it very clear, especially when you read it in light, with, in light of 1 Corinthians 7, that, that husbands and wives have a real authority over each other in a way which is perfectly reciprocal, but in so many respects, is expressed differently. But we can't read 1 Corinthians 7 without coming away with the obvious conclusion that he regards husbands and wives as equal. When when husbands and wives deferring to each other, then have children who are obedient to them, it should be that much more clear to all parties involved that there isn't a distinction here between one who is intrinsically superior to another, demanding the obedience of others, but rather God choosing in his own free will and providence to place us in in relationships that are subordinate to others or in positions of responsibility towards others. In other words, when 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 a mom or a dad reckons with their own relationship with God and when they grow in in self-knowledge, which is synonymous with humility, there should arise a feeling of mutual sympathy. Sympathy for the ones who have to be obedient to them. And when they exercise their responsibility in a godly way, 
then those who are obedient to them will be sympathetic towards those who bear such a great responsibility of raising children to be able to choose God and choose salvation. It's mutual respect, mutual sympathy that arises out of the recognition that this is this has been given me not because of what I am, but because of the way God made me in relationship with these others. Tony Eslin, in a um, insightful little um, article recently, talked about how the word individual has only been used to, in reference to human beings really for a few decades. It's, it's, it's not part of our culture to refer to human beings as individuals. We all are made already in relationship with other people. Part of this came to light in the events leading up to my father's death 22 years ago and, and mom's passing two years ago. Just, he was already in the hospital in his last hospital stay, stay just two or three days before he died. And in a, in a moment when we were the only two in the room and not sure what we were discussing, probably something that my father expected to be stressful or anxious, um, none of which appeared on my face, my father remarked about how he admired, not only then, but had admired for so long, how very stressful, difficult situations didn't result in my being anything but peaceful and calm and, 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 and any mentioned that in direct contrast to his own um, stomach-wrenching anxiety that plagued so much of his life. And I, I, I was flabbergasted. A, that I had been, been able to hide my gut-wrenching anxiety for so many years without him noticing, um, and that he had done the same. By God's providence, that conversation, but as well as the, my father's passing and, and events that followed, was the beginning of God entirely removing that from me altogether. But it was a moment of realizing in, in mutual sympathy and mutual admiration that in many respects we were we were the same. We were just older and younger versions of each other. A different kind of experience just about two years ago before mom passed away, more like a month or two before her death, found us in the, in the infusion center at Arlington Hospital. My brother, Father Marcus, and I were there. And the doctor, I think the last time we saw that doctor... Um, was presenting to us the latest um, feedback from blood work and, and other things showing the progress of the cancer and, um, and mom's deteriorating condition and had us um, grapple with the decision whether or not to, 
discontinue chemotherapy. And in both physical exhaustion and, and spiritual exhaustion, mom just uh, collapsed onto my shoulder and said, I just completely trust you to decide. And there we see these relationships of, of obedience and responsibility of, of sympathy and admiration. Recognizing that we, we were made by God for his purpose and, and for each other's salvation. And that it's in God's eternal embrace in heaven that we really become brothers and sisters of each other. Along the way, we experience it sometimes more so than at other times. Uh, it's at our, parent, at our parents' funerals when we call them by their first name, probably, for the first time that, we, that it dawns on us how this relationship is changing. But it's not as though it's a categorical change. It's a change of circumstance. And so then we recognize each other as, as bearing responsibility either over us or over others, and we, we reverence that because we know that responsibility comes from God. The other thing that's worth acknowledging as a family, in, the, in a real sense, in a true sense, is the church, whereas this, there is this relationship of love which results in life and this responsibility for the good of the other. That relationship of love is, is Christ for his Father, giving up his life, resulting in our, our redemption, our being able to have eternal life, our then being able to become adopted sons and daughters of God. And so then we... We obey Christ because he is God. We obey him through the church, and we obey specific men and specific women because they have been given a responsibility by Christ for that community. Not because they're intrinsically different from us, but because God has chosen to burden them with responsibility over us. And there should be mutual sympathy and mutual admiration and reverence because we know God is at work here. That's the relationship of parishioners and priests, of priest and bishop, of bishop and pope. Having sympathy for those who have to obey us and having sympathy for those who have to have responsibility over us should result in our not taking ourselves seriously at all, but taking up our responsibilities with seriousness. So we ask then the Holy Family to teach us that lesson of the manger. to recognize God, our Father, the Creator, and the Holy Spirit. And in this incarnational relationship with God, to reverence Christ in his person, to reverence Christ in each other, and to bear Christ to others.
And so we pray. O Lord Jesus Christ, who being subject to Mary and Joseph did sanctify home life with unspeakable virtues, grant that by the aid of both we may be taught by the example of thy holy family and attain an eternal fellowship with it who lives and reigns with God the Father in the unity of the Holy Ghost, God, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.